You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There is nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it is by far the easiest way that I have found to shop for tickets because I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. Uh, I plan on using SeatGeek a little bit later in this season now that Indiana season is over and I have a little bit of extra time on my hands on weeknights and plan to get out to a Mavericks game and see Yogi play, which I haven't had a chance to do. And you can be sure that when I do that, I will be getting my tickets on SeatGeek as I did when I went and saw him play last year. Because, again, SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. They save you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and help you find amazing deals. And best of all, listeners of the Assembly Call get $20 off of their first SeatGeek purchase. So the way that you do that is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code ASSEMBLY. That's promo code ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y, for $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. This is our 68th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 395th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Wednesday, March 21st, 2018, a day earlier than our usual Thursday night recording times because we did not want to conflict with the first set of Sweet 16 games. Next week, our live broadcast should be back on its usual night. I am your host, Jared Morris, and let's begin this week how we begin every episode of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And, you know, after watching another NCAA tournament opening weekend without our Hoosiers, and with no significant recruiting news to speak of from the past week, other than Romeo Langford and Demise Anderson, unfortunately, each falling in their semi-state matchups, there really isn't much from an IU men's basketball perspective to warrant a banner moment. But there are some other IU sports that are rolling, and so I just want to take a quick second to recognize a few of them. Uh, let's start with last week, the women's swimming and diving team finished eighth at the NCAA championships. And as we have come to expect, Olympic champion Lily King was just unbelievably dominant in the 200 breaststroke. She won her third straight NCAA title in the event with the best time in history, period. She is the first woman to break the two-minute, three-second barrier, setting the American NCAA, NCAA meet, U.S. Open, Big Ten, IU school, and pool records with her performance. She is amazing. Lily's six NCAA titles are the most for any woman in Big Ten history. 
And as we are recording this uh, on Wednesday evening, the number three ranked IU men's swimming and diving team is in Minneapolis for the 2018 NCAA championships. Indiana is sending a total of 14 swimmers and divers. And along with the individual events, the Hoosiers will also swim in all five relays. As you probably know, the Hoosiers have won six NCAA championships. They placed seventh last season, their highest finish since 1979, and they will be seeking their first banner since 1973. The IU women's basketball team is facing off against Purdue at Simon Scott Assembly Hall on Thursday evening in the third round of the women's NIT as Tyra Buss, Amanda Cahill, and crew look to continue their march toward an NIT banner. And Indiana swept the season series against the Boilermakers, so hopefully they do it again. And the top 25 Indiana baseball team is off to a solid start with a 15-4 and record winners of six straight entering a weekend series against Iowa. And by the way, if you want to keep up with the baseball Hoosiers, I highly recommend that you check out the show Talking Hoosier Baseball, which is hosted by the coach, Brian Tonsoni, our frequent guest co-host here at the Assembly Call, also the founder of the number one ranked Delphi Bracketology Club. Again, that show is called Talking Hoosier Baseball, and you can find it by searching for Brian's podcast feed, Sports Talk with Tonsoni, anywhere that podcasts are found. So in closing, good luck to all the Hoosier athletes out there seeking to add to Indiana's storied athletic history with more impressive individual performances, more incredible team success, and of course, more banners. All right, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. To my left, we have one of the top 10 bracketologists in the world and a recovering fan club president who will surely be cheering Robert Johnson on wherever Rojo's professional career takes him, but who is now searching for a new Hoosier to call his own. He is Andy Bottoms. Andy, what is your Bottoms line from the past week in IU basketball or just basketball in general? I guess I'll, I guess I feel like I have to stick with basketball in general since there's not a lot of IU stuff to talk about. Um, here in Cincinnati, it's the you know picture of despair between the Cincinnati and Xavier losing. Uh, we got snow today, more predicted for the weekend, so the white death has also descended upon us. And uh, you know, other than that, there's uh, you know not not a lot to get excited about basketball wise uh, for fans of teams here. But I tell you, um, y- you know, to to be able to be in that position where you're kind of living and dying with how your team is doing in the tournament is something that I think um, all IU fans would long for after you know these last couple of seasons of not being in the tournament. So um, while it, the tournament can certainly uh, in some ways, it's nice to sit back and kind of watch the carnage as somebody who doesn't have a, a dog in the fight. Um, there's still a part of you that is like, man, I just wish, you know, you could see, you know, see your team play and, and see their name called and all those kinds of things. So, you know, hopefully we're a week closer to being able to experience that again and, uh, and going from there. But, you know, the tournament overall, I think has been an enjoyable one. It's always one of my, you know, favorite events. Don't, you know, don't go to work that Thursday and Friday and, uh, and just sit back and enjoy some games. And, and for the most part, things did not disappoint last weekend and, uh, looking forward to another set of good games, you know, this week with, uh, Still some potential Cinderella's out there, and, and we'll see what happens, but should be uh, should be fun to watch. And to my right, we unfortunately do not have Ryan Phillips, who had a previous engagement and was especially disappointed to have to miss this week's show, given what we're going to discuss. But before I introduce Ryan's replacement host, I hope that you will indulge me in a quick reading of a brief text exchange that he and I had on Monday night, because I think it explains a lot. So here we go. This is me. Random question, but how old are you? Ryan. Too old. 37. I actually threw my back out even typing that. Me. When is your birthday? Heather and I were debating whether you were older or younger than me. I couldn't remember. Ryan. This is verbatim from the text. I wasn't born. I was created by Zeus. Ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Phillips. So now to my right, 
He is the godfather of IU basketball podcasters. He runs the sports media program at IU. He is the director of the National Sports Journalism Center. And like Andy and Coach Tonsoni, is a well-regarded amateur bracketologist. He also has very strong opinions about pizza in Bloomington. Uh, And we have been fortunate to have him as a frequent contributor on our show many times. And we're happy to have him back this week since the son of Zeus couldn't make it. He is Galen Clavio, the host of Crimson Cast. Galen As we embark on yet another weekend of NCAA tournament basketball without the Hoosiers, what is on your mind? Uh, Well, uh, the the rapid disappearance of basketball, I'd say, is the thing that's primarily on my mind. Although I I guess, uh, you know, being born from gods uh, is now on my mind a bit as well. I wasn't really expecting that aspect of things from Ryan, of of all people. But hey, Um, but no, you know, it's funny when we get to this time of the year, I'm I always get a little bit twingy and and nervous because I realize that even though the tournament is great and it's this wonderful banquet of basketball, this weekend means that we're almost done. Uh, you know, we've got the the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, the Final Four, and then we're done with college basketball, really, except for some recruiting to clean up until October. And that's very difficult for me to deal with. So I actually broke down and bought a computer game uh, called Draft Day Sports College Basketball, which I'd been flirting with for several years. I played the demo a couple of times, and I've been coaching a, a virtual team uh, in college basketball. Got San Diego State first season. We're in the we're in the CBI, uh, like the regional final right now, which is great. That's kind of satisfying me. I've got I'm like okay, great. I can keep myself busy through April and May. Oh, you you I weren't too to... good for the CBI. You decided to accept no, no, that. No, no, decided that. Yeah, and actually, we hosted games too. <laughs> oh, it was great. The athletic nice. director was on board with it. You know, we were fine with everything. But I did want everybody to know that the Archie Miller led IU basketball team in this game in like 2019 2020 is ranked fourth in the country. Uh, they've had a Final Four appearance uh, in the previous year, so I'm really optimistic now. This is great. I think we can just wrap the show right there. I think we just, I think we just hit the high point. <laughs> uh, okay, so here are the topics and questions that we're going to address this week. And I know that you know there have been some grad transfers announced, and Indiana's kind of sniffing around some of those guys and some junior college guys. We're going to save all that for some later shows once we get a little bit more insight on you know where there's mutual interest and how serious that stuff is. So we're not going to address that, even though I know that you all have questions about that, but. We're going to address some topics that came up during the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament that kind of had an IU tie-in. And so we're going to quickly, I hope, bust the myth uh, believed by some IU fans that Archie Miller's system is the same as Tony Bennett's system, because it's not. We're also going to bust the myth that the pack line defense sucks against three-pointers, because I have some data um, that's pretty compelling there. Uh, and then, you know, is Archie Miller's system one that we expect to have both regular season success and tournament success? We'll talk about that. Uh, and then maybe we'll debate a little bit how we would feel if Indiana would, were to be, quote-unquote, doomed to the fate of a Virginia or an Arizona. And then we've got some questions from you as well. All of that coming here on Assembly Call Radio. Uh, before we hop into those topics, I do want to remind you that even though, obviously, there aren't any IU basketball games to purchase now and not even any IU football tickets uh, um, uh, right now. Although, actually, I haven't checked that. Maybe SeatGeek has IU football tickets. But the URL, iutickets.shop, when you use that URL, it will take you to SeatGeek. And so you can use it to find IU football tickets if they're there, concert tickets, anything else that you want to go do during the offseason that's a live event. SeatGeek will pretty much have you 
covered. And that URL, iutickets.shop, is our affiliate URL. And so we actually get a commission when you use that URL and go on uh, to purchase a, a ticket. So continue to use it in the off-season. Again, it's iutickets.shop. And don't forget that the promo code assembly, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y, will get you $20 uh, back after your first purchase. So use the URL, iutickets.shop, and then the promo code assembly when you make that first purchase. All right, you are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with Andy Bottoms and our guest co-host for uh, the week, Galen Clavio. So, Galen, let's tease our opening topic uh, by you maybe explaining your tweet from March 17th, because I feel like this really sums it up. Because while I was going back and forth with all kinds of people, I feel like you and just kind of one simple tweet kind of summed up what was going on in the aftermath of the Virginia loss to Maryland-Baltimore County. And here was your tweet. Quote, there are some crushingly dumb takes about Virginia, Packline defense, and IU hoops out there on Twitter right now. What in particular inspired this? I mean, it was just watching the chatter in the immediate aftermath of the Virginia game, which seemed to be drawing this parallel between Virginia under Tony Bennett, IU under Archie Miller, and the idea that, oh, the systems are the same, and that'll never work here at IU, and and, you know, this idea that somehow there we were on some kind of doomed trajectory uh, with IU basketball as a result of, I guess, the pack line defense, even though that really wasn't the reason at all why Virginia lost the game against Maryland, Baltimore County. And, you know, look, I I know the IU fan base is starved for success. It's been a long time since there was sustained success. And, and I've been following right along with everybody. And I get that people, you know, you're prone on Twitter to overreact and, and things kind of snowball and roll downhill. But I just felt like people went way overboard. And, and frankly, it was the con- continuation of a conversational issue that's lasted for quite a while and been, I think, a problem for quite a while in terms of how IU fans and IU skeptics masquerading as IU fans have been analyzing Archie Miller and this first season for the Hoosiers. Andy, were you involved in all of that? When, when that was going on after the shock of the Virginia loss? No, I, I, I actively avoided it. I would say, I mean, it, it just to draw that conclusion from, from one game and from, you know, if you want to argue about Virginia system, I mean, they were 31 and two uh, and played in the ACC. Like to say that that system isn't successful and then to watch a team like Syracuse play, you know, incredibly ugly basketball, forcing, you know, a team to shoot 37 threes and play a guy in the middle of his own who was uh, actively looking to not shoot, basically didn't even look at the basket. And then to say like, oh, somehow they're vindicated in the success that they have in the tournament and by playing ugly and yet other teams just because they had, you know, to Galen's point, you know, the, the pack line is meant to stop dribble penetration and UMBC was getting basically wherever they wanted off the dribble um, and just you know, a one game sample to say that it, it, something can't work just seemed seemed silly. And, it, you know, everything doesn't work right up until it does. And it just seemed it just seemed like a foolish thing to uh, get into a, a debate about it, not not even to get into the nuance that I think you wanted to talk about later about how similar or dissimilar things with Archie Miller are. It just seemed like uh, I don't know, just seemed like, you know, hot takes abound to, you know, to, to make some generalizations based on a, a you know one game result in the tournament that uh, a, a tournament that often breeds you know surprise things that happen. 
Yeah, and look, I think one of the things it revealed, too, is maybe a misunderstanding of how Archie Miller wants Indiana to play. And so I think that's what that's what we want to clear up here. So let's go to the next segment. Let's dive into this. So we're going to we're gonna bust this myth that IU fans think that Archie Miller's system is the same as Tony Bennett's system. Talk about what Archie Miller's system uh, really is. Uh, that is next. Stick with us. Hey, just a real quick note here. The next time that you are going to shop online for IU gear, use the URL iustore.shop. That will take you to the official IU online store where they have anything you could possibly want. Candy stripe pants, the script Indiana warm-up shirt, all kinds of IU gear. And that URL, iustore.shop, is actually our affiliate URL. So when you use it, and buy something, we get paid a commission. So it's a great way for you to shop for the IU gear that you need and to support the assembly call at the same time. Again, the URL is iustore.shop. Please bookmark it and use it the next time you're looking to buy IU gear. We appreciate it. Now back to the show. You are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and our special guest co-host Galen Clavio from Crimson Cast. Don't forget that if you ever have to miss all or part of an episode of Assembly Call Radio, there are two great ways to catch up. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Assembly Call. Or you can join our live Thursday night broadcast or watch the video replays by subscribing to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash assemblycall. So with this segment, guys, we're going to discuss this comparison that we all saw made between Archie Miller and Tony Bennett and just the unnecessary panic uh, that was going on after that Virginia loss to UMBC and people projecting forward with Archie's system and just having all kinds of uh, bad dreams about what was going to happen. Um, but, you know, I, th- I thought it was kind of summed up with this tweet uh, from our guy Josh Hosh.0 on Twitter who said, I think people hear pack line defense and freak out because they think of Virginia and the slower pace that they play at. I don't think Archie runs the same offense as Virginia. And, Andy, I want to go to you with this first, but I think the real crux of this and what I think everybody needs to understand is that, yes, Archie runs the pack line defense. That's the same defense that Tony Bennett runs. Tony's father, Dick Bennett, created the defense, and, and Tony's adopted it. Uh, Sean Miller, Archie Miller, they have adopted it. And obviously, it is a very successful defensive system. You just need to look at the defensive rankings and the success at Virginia and Arizona and, and what coaches have had who have run it defensively to see how good of a system it is. But don't equate that you know playing the pack line defense with necessarily having to play at the super slow pace that Virginia plays at right Virginia runs a mover blocker offense they are consistently among the nation's slowest teams uh in fact uh, uh, their average pace average ranking for Tony Bennett is 339th that is really low and when you look at what Archie has done in his 7 seasons as a head coach uh, his average ranking is 205th, which is much more in line with, say, what Villanova has been like over the last five or six years. So, uh, Andy, when we look at the comparison between the two, defensively, you hope that comparison runs as far as Archie Miller can take it because Virginia is outstanding defensively. But for people who are so afraid that you know this terribly slow pace isn't going to work, the system that Archie wants to put in offensively is not really much of anything close to what Tony Bennett is doing at Virginia. Yeah, I think that's the thing. And, and what people often point to from a tournament perspective is really the pace. And and by playing a lower possession game, you increase the amount of variance that you might have and, and things like that. And and that's where 
if you want to make an argument that, you know, in, in the game when you know, Virginia gets down 12 points and it's like, oh, my God, we can't play fast enough to, to make up this you know 12 point deficit without, you know, jacking threes and, and panicking a little bit. To me, that was based more on I, I, it was based on the tempo at which they would have had to start trying to play to come back in the game. Um, their defense certainly was not doing them any favors with some of the looks they were allowing. Um but yeah, I think the you said it well. You know, the pack line is the defensive philosophy. But anybody who plays that defense doesn't do the same thing offensively. You'll see the same principles on one end of the floor, but how they choose to handle it on the other is completely different. And so, a lot of the thing that contributes, you know, to some of these odd tournament things that happen in a you know single elimination tournament are more based on number of possessions and things like that. The variance that comes into play there, as opposed to uh, the other way around. And, and Galen, the other thing too, about the offensive systems that's interesting is different things are emphasized. So when you look at kind of, and, and, and maybe before we, we talk about this, you, you and I were talking about something in the break about how maybe we shouldn't be so quick to, to, to say exactly what Archie will be, because we have a long, a big sample size of what, Tony Bennett's Virginia teams are and what Sean Miller's Arizona teams are and what Jay Wright's Villanova teams are. And all of those coaches went through a struggle at first, you know, many, you know, kind of some ups and downs getting it in. And now you see kind of a consistent profile. Well, Archie's only had one season, so we don't quite know yet exactly what it will look like. So part of this is trying to project from what his teams did at Dayton. But now with the step up to Indiana and recruiting a different level player, it's not you know, necessarily going to be the case that his teams will play with the same offensive signature that they did at Dayton. Yeah, I mean, what you see right now is, or what we saw in his first season, was Archie Miller, without his players, playing half of his system. I mean, maybe by the end of the season, it was like two-thirds of his system. It's not something that is necessarily going to be representative of how they play the next year or the year after or the year after that. And certainly, while you saw them adopt a certain profile at Dayton, a lot of that was dictated by the talent that Archie Miller could bring in at Dayton. And that's a lower level of profile talent than you're probably going to get at certainly at a Virginia and definitely a lower profile of talent than you could get in Indiana. And that will have an effect on the style of play, the the way things happen, uh, you know, with Archie Miller's teams. So I, I just, you know, I, I think people, Part of the problem with the 24-hour, not just news cycle, but the 24-hour social media cycle is that everything gets overanalyzed, everything gets parsed, and if you want to make a point because you feel like, oh, this wasn't the right hire, and I still think that there's people in the IU fan base that feel that way, there's things you can point to. You can point to, oh, they run the pack line defense, oh, so does Virginia. Not understanding the offensive pace issues being the thing that matter the most there in terms of... Uh, of you know the differences between those two teams, or the irony and, of Virginia being awesome, <laughs> or the or, or the, you know or you know and we we talked about this on the Mind Your Banners podcast the other day with uh, with Zach Osterman and, and Chronic Hoosier, you know the oh I you shot poorly, ergo Archie Miller can't teach his teams how to shoot, and it's like well I mean like give the guy a couple of years with players that he actually brings in. Because, you know, as we saw, there there weren't tremendous shooting differences with a lot of the players. Maybe with a couple of the guards, there were differences. But, you know, particularly among the post players, there were actually some improvements in certain areas. So I just, to me, a lot of it is cart before the horse. It's trying to fit 
a preconceived notion of things or or a very poorly conceived notion of things to an incomplete data set. Yeah. You're listening to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Galen Clavio. Andy, the other thing you know that I hear from people who, you know, are are, are you know, maybe still not fully on board uh with the the Archie hire is and we're going to talk about this in the next segment, but obviously I think the Indiana State and Fort Wayne losses really spooked Indiana fans and really are kind of weighing on many psyches even into the offseason in terms of feeling like our defense is never going to be able to defend the three-point line. Uh, even though when you remove those two games from the, the ledger, Indiana was basically at the national average for defending the three-point line this year. But even offensively, you know, to Galen's point, people took you know, Indiana's poor three-point shooting percentage, you know, the, the poor free-throw percentage, but especially the poor three-point shooting percentage, and look at it and say, wait a minute, you know, doesn't Archie Miller realize that you know, basketball is going to the three-point shot if we can't defend the three, if we can't make the three? You know, aren't we playing Stone Age basketball here? And, you know, this is another big difference between, you know, what Archie does in a system like Tony Bennett's in particular is Indiana takes a much higher percentage of their shots from three-point range than, say, Virginia does. Um, Now, the problem this year and with some of his Dayton teams is they didn't make a great percentage, and that's where a team like Virginia, they're extremely efficient with the threes that they take. So to Galen's point, you know, if he can get some players in there, get some better shooters in, it really it feels to me like his system is actually set up to take advantage of the trend of where college basketball is going once he has the right players to run it. Um, and obviously, he'll have to make adjustments as he goes. But that, uh, to me, that narrative that I've seen and heard doesn't really hold up under closer inspection of the actual games and remembering the good looks that Indiana got and also just the numbers um, when you look at them. Yeah, I mean, certainly you can watch the tournament and see teams just get hot from from there. And, and you can watch just as many teams miss wide open threes as you can, you know, make them. Um, so, you know, I think we saw as IU got better with defensive rotations and handling ball screens and things like that over the course of the season that they got better at being able to close out and, and run teams off the three-point line a little bit. Whereas in the beginning of the season, it was just a, you know, parade of... Of, of open shots out there. So I think that, you know, became, uh, you know, again, we kind of talk about things that improved over the course of the season. I think that was one of them and the ability to do that. It was a lot of installing the philosophy. So for me, you know, the jury's still out on that to a certain extent as you look through. But, you know, even if you just look in Big Ten play and you kind of take that as, all right, well, let's see, did they really improve on that over the course of the season? I mean, there was a time when opponents were shooting well over 40%, and they ended up in Big Ten play at 35.5 opponents shooting three-pointers. Um, so I think that speaks a little bit to the improvement that took place over time. And again, I think it, it you know, some of the numbers that, that you talked about um, and the comparisons to other teams who played the you know, play the same defense. There's some nuance there in terms of what you're willing to accept and what you're not. Uh, and so, again, even though they're playing the same defensive system you know those numbers are a little bit different just in terms of percent of attempts from the opponent takes from from beyond the arc in in two different two different teams that run the same thing so i I think to say that you're you're trying to force teams to shoot threes is not necessarily um you know the case but i think you're giving up some of those open looks but if you can run teams off the three-point line and maybe force them into less efficient shots like you know long twos or things like that then there's some you know benefit to being able to do that as well and let me jump in and also say this any team is susceptible to a lot of three-pointers being hit by their opponent. Uh, Certainly there are things you can do to uh, somewhat mitigate that, 
But I don't think that that is a particularly endemic to the system sort of thing. It's not like the pack line defense is any more or less susceptible to a barrage of three pointers. Uh, you know, and some days you're going to have situations where opponents are going to hit a bunch of threes and you're going to have problems as, as a result of it. If you're playing the defense right, I think it's a lot less likely. And, you know, we saw that even, you know, going back to the first couple of years under Tony Bennett at Virginia, you know, a lot of bad closeouts, uh, a, a lot of situations where guys were being left open on the perimeter. And that did lead to, to more three point shots being attempted. And, and there's a certain night where those are going to go in as opposed to other nights where they're not. Uh, but I'd say this defensive system is no worse than any of the others in terms of that particular aspect. And in certain ways, it can actually be better because. Even if you are getting some threes hit, ideally you're cutting down on the higher percentage shots that are being taken closer to the rim. Exactly, and that I think we mentioned that, but that in that Virginia game, that's what wasn't happening. <laughs> you know, I mean, they got hot from three, but then they just started getting all kinds of dribble penetration, and now at that point, the defense wasn't taking anything away, and they just had no answer offensively. And it was, I mean, it was the perfect storm. That's why you know when I tweeted out and said, you know, they got Indiana stated in Fort Wayne. It wasn't to compare the magnitude of the losses, but it was similar in the sense of another team just got unconscious. You know, Virginia, like Indiana, just kind of lost their nerve a little bit, lost their focus, didn't have anything they were really doing offensively to hang their hats on that kept them in the game, and it just snowballed out of control. And that happens sometimes, unfortunately for Virginia. It happened at, you know, now one of the most infamous times ever, and that's something that will stick with them. But it's not something for Indiana fans to panic about because we play the same defensive system that they're that they do. So, which I think is the main point that we wanted to make here. Yeah, I think, you know, and it's funny and, and to go back to that Michigan State game, obviously Syracuse is not playing the pack line. They're playing, you know, the two, three zone that we all know all too well. But, Boo. you know, but but, you know, a lack of success in shooting threes doesn't prevent teams from from continuing to shoot them either. So it, it's, you know, it can kind of snowball one way, but it also goes that goes both ways. If you're able to defend that well, it doesn't necessarily discourage people from taking them as Michigan State showed over and over and over again or North um, Carolina in that game or. Yeah, exactly. So I think, you know, that's the other thing is that even if you, you know, we we have been burned so much by the opposite direction of like, man, this team just continues to shoot them and gets hot. You can also get teams into, you know, if those are shots you're willing to give and they're not falling, you're doing a good job of contesting those like that can be an asset as well. So just to say a team takes a lot of them isn't necessarily a bad thing because teams will continue to take them even when they're not making them to begin with. All right. I think we made our point here. Do you guys have any other final statements you want to make on this before we uh, before we go on to the next topic? Good. No, I'm, I, I'm good. Again, I just I, I'll just say I just think people need to calm down a little bit. I mean, you know, it, it, t- transition years are tough. Transition years are tough on both sides of the ball. And, you know, particularly when you've got a complete sea change of approach to the game of basketball being instilled by the new coaching staff, it's a tough transition. And I think you see it. You know, we could rattle down the list of, of you know, coaches that have come in and, and tried to put complete changes in in places. Jay Wright was in the NIT the first three years he was at Villanova. I mean, that's just one of, of many examples. You know, Tony Bennett was the same thing at Virginia. Um and look, IU fans don't want to hear that. They, you know, they after the inconsistencies of the Korean era, they wanted something solid, I think, immediately. And I get that. But we don't always get what we want 
a lot of times that we get what we need. And I think what was needed was a, a transition year like we had this year in order to get things moving in the right direction. Yep. Well, I think I think the other thing is to, to assume and Galen touched on this earlier to assume that Archie Miller isn't going to tweak what he's doing based on the personnel he has and the kinds of teams that he can get, I think is I, I certainly hope is doing him a disservice as a coach, because if we look back in three years and say, look, he was too rigid and never was flexible enough to to tweak what he did. It doesn't mean he's going to go play zone all of a sudden. It doesn't mean he's going to, you know, completely reinvent the offense. But if you look back in, in a certain number of years and say, look, he never was able, he didn't ever adapt it to the kinds of personnel that he could get, then yeah, that's a legitimate criticism, but we're not there yet. We're not even close to being there yet. And so to think that the incarnation of what he wants to do looks exactly like what we saw last year is foolish and gives him very little credit as being a good basketball coach. Bingo. All right, coming up, I want to kind of put a bow on this or discussion of the pack line and talk about the myth that the pack line defense actually isn't good against three-pointers because the data doesn't back that up. That and more coming up next. You are listening to the Assembly Call. Go to assemblycall.com slash join right now to learn how to subscribe to our email newsletter. If you want to get more out of being an IU basketball fan, then you need to be on our newsletter list. You will get our weekly Six Banner Sunday news roundups all throughout the offseason to keep you up to date on everything going on with your Indiana basketball Hoosiers. And then once the season starts again, you'll get our post-game analysis emails sent the morning after every game, content that only goes out to our email subscribers. It is all free, and it will make you a smarter IU basketball fan. Again, the URL is assemblycall.com slash join. I am Jared Morris. I'm here with Andy Bottoms and Galen Clavio. And we're kind of busting some myths here a little bit. We just talked about why Archie Miller's system is not the same as Tony Bennett's system, uh, even though they play the same uh, defensively. And I want to just quickly bust this myth that the pack line defense is not good at defending the three-point line. And this, again, is where I feel like some of our thinking is anchored to the that Indiana State and that Fort Wayne loss where we just saw three after three after three, and we saw a team that was so bad at running the pack line defense. I mean, it, it almost couldn't shouldn't really be called the pack line defense. And I think people kind of attributed the three-point shooting to that, and then you see some other anecdotal evidence, you know, like that Virginia game against UMBC, and you start to think, wait a minute, this new defense, are we, you know, not on the cutting edge of basketball here because we can't defend the three? But the the data just doesn't back up that the pack line isn't good at defending the three. You know, we know that in general, the pack line defense, you know, wants to funnel the offense away from the basket. You want to stop the dribble penetration. And so teams are, if you're playing it right, are going to be shooting more outside shots, hopefully settling for shots uh, that aren't that good, that are contested. This is what the good teams that have been running the pack line for a while, Virginia and Arizona do. They all went through their ups and downs, struggled with it early, just like Indiana did. But now when you look at those programs that are mature running the defense, take Virginia as an example. They give up a lot of three-point attempts. They're actually 201st or worse in six out of the last seven seasons. But they hold opponents to a very low percentage. And what that suggests is that for Virginia playing the defense, they are very good at closing out, at creating contested and maybe rushed looks from three-pointer, uh, from three-point range. So even though opponents are taking a lot, they're not making a high percentage. They're very efficient at defending those looks. Arizona, on the other hand, playing the pack line as well, but a little bit different. And they have different personnel, so you would expect some differences here. They are actually very good at reducing 
three-point attempts as they've been 115th or better in the country seven out of the last nine seasons and never below average in that stat. And look, one of the best ways to keep teams from hitting threes on you is just to not allow them to hit them. But they are also good at holding uh, opponents to a low percentage. So they've got both of them covered. Now, when you look at Archie and how his teams have run it, you know, going back to Dayton and obviously his one year at Indiana, so far they've kind of been average at reducing three-point attempts and somewhat consistent at holding opponents to uh, a low percentage, you know, kind of right about the national average. But to give you some context, if you look at this past season and you remove Indiana State's 17 for 26 and Fort Wayne's 17 for 30, Indiana's season three-point defense goes from 36.7%, which was 267th in the country, to 34.4%, which was 131st. Now, again, you don't take those games out. They happened. But it does kind of give you a little bit of an idea when you remove some anomalous performances and factor in more of a the, the, the more mature pack line they were playing toward the end of the year, it wasn't as bad as maybe our memory uh, 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 was tinged uh, by those games. So... I just wanted to take this time, just, I think, relax a little bit if you're fearful that this system that we're playing isn't going to have a shooting threes or defending threes. I just don't think that what we've seen with our eyes and what we see with the data uh, really backs that up. Now, is the pack line susceptible to a bonker shooting night from downtown if another team gets hot? Yes, but as we addressed... Pretty much any defense is susceptible to that if the team is going to get red hot on you. So that's not necessarily as much to do with the system. And once Indiana has the right personnel in and is better at actually executing it, I think you'll see nights like the Indiana State and the Fort Wayne game be much, much, much fewer and further between. Uh, Andy, anything that you want to uh, to add to that there? But yeah, I don't think I would. I don't think I would add too much. I think I looked a little bit ahead on our, our run sheet, so I alluded to some of those things in, in some of my comments before. Just that there are different ways that it, this defense is going to manifest itself. That the you know the core principles are uh, might be the same, but but the way teams really handle three point shooting um, can, can be a little bit different. And uh, again, I think the ability to adapt and, and see what people are doing and, and and tweak that defense is something that we'll probably see over the course of time. But uh, again, I think when you take out some of those performances, you look at how you did in the big 10. I don't think if you, if you looked at it that way, you would be overly concerned uh, about that. And, and again, it kind of goes back to the pace and the variance of whatever, if you get somebody on a hot shooting night and you don't, you don't have a lot of possessions over the course of the game, your ability to overcome that is lessened. And I think that really is, is, you know, kind of what was at issue with Virginia more than anything, again, to the to a certain extent. And then they just started to break down and gave up pretty much whatever UMBC won. Yeah. All right. You're listening to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Galen Clavio. Let's transition into uh, another topic that I think is more generally on IU fans' minds. And that is, you know, based on how we think Archie Miller's IU teams will play. And I say how we think because, again, we're just kind of trying to project from what he did at Dayton. Um, you know, is that formula something that we project to be one that will give us regular season success and tournament success? Um, and Galen, let me kick this over to you first. Um, and I know, uh, you know, maybe this is where we want to maybe bring Virginia back into it a little bit because uh, we might have, you know, buried one of the points earlier that we wanted to make about them. Yeah, look, I think that if you're going to take any lessons out of the game versus Maryland-Baltimore County, as it relates to Virginia. And really this, this goes for a lot of the games that have led to the thought that Virginia, that their, their stuff just doesn't work in the tournament. 
uh, you know, where they fall down is their offense. They're really not built uh, to have games where they fall behind. They're, they're not built for games where their shots stop falling. Uh, and you have to keep in mind that at Virginia, like we're, we've taken for granted now. Now there's, you know, we've had some people talk about how, you know, Virginia's a paper tiger. You know, Pat Forty went after the program. A towering uh, fraud, latest, he said. A towering a fraud. Ridiculously and, dumb line. And I, I'm always, I'm amazed by this because we just take for granted that Virginia is supposed to be a top basketball program right now, and that is just so out of the character of that program. That is an also ran program. That's being kind when you talk about ACC schools. I mean, you're talking about a program that yes has had a couple of good years historically, but you know that is not a top level ACC basketball program, and it's been turned into that by Tony Bennett using this system. It's not a place that traditionally gets a lot of top-level recruits. It's not a place that gets a lot of really athletic basketball players who are going to be difference makers at the next level. Now, I think it's to, to Bennett's credit that he's managed to develop some players that are now getting shots at the next level. But, you know, we, we tend to confuse, oh, this team is on the same level from a program perspective as Duke or North Carolina with, oh, this team is just having a lot of success, and why is that the case? And so if you look at Indiana, if you look at what Archie Miller has brought, I think it's important to understand that, you know, the system that Miller has is an incredibly solid system. It's a great basis. I mean, he he took a Dayton team that was, you know, a very up and down program, uh, you know, frankly, and turned them into perennially a top 70 team in Ken Palm every year. I mean, the, the lowest they finished was 69th. The Indiana team he had this year was actually actually finished four spot, spots lower than that. It finished 73rd. Um, there's a limit to what you can do talent-wise at a school like Dayton. You're going to get a lot of gritty players who get by on effort and toughness but don't have the high-end basketball skills in many cases uh, that, that you'll see at you know even a mid-level Big Ten program, let alone a program like Indiana that can recruit with the best of them. So when I look at the the solid principles that Archie Miller brings to the table, the emphasis on defense, the emphasis on not turning the ball over, you know, the emphasis on, you know, really just toughness. You know, those are all things that when we look around at other successful Big Ten programs over the course of the last 20 years, let's say, whether it's Michigan State or whether it's Wisconsin, uh, you know, those are the same foundational elements that those programs have. And, you know, where I think IU can compete with the profile of a Michigan State over the last 20 years or compete, maybe even, you know, probably exceed what Wisconsin has been able to do, it's that IU really does have the ability to tap into the sort of elite basketball player that takes that system and elevates it to a top level. Yeah, which obviously is going to help in NCAA tournament games and one and done type situations. I mean, that, that's the other thing with Virginia. You mentioned they didn't have, they don't get much talent. And the one guy they did have didn't even play in that first game as well. Um, in that game against Maryland, Baltimore County, which certainly hurt them. Um, Andy, when you look at, at kind of what you project forward for Archie, I mean, are you, do you have any misgivings about, you know, Archie being a coach that is, is maybe going to get Indiana to having some solid regular seasons, but then we're going to be, you know, consistently flaming out early in the, in the NCAA tournament? I mean, I don't think there's anything, uh, again, what you've seen from him at at other places is relevant and directionally gives some idea of what he would be at IU. I just think we don't know what he's gonna gonna be at IU, and I don't mean that as a 
I don't think he's going to be good. I clearly think he do anybody. I, I think he will. I think anybody who's listened to us would, you know, certainly find that we've all been you know, supportive of, of what he's doing. I just think to draw that conclusion from another team that plays in, you know, a, a different way um, that has been wildly successful over the course of the last five seasons is, uh, it, it, you know, just feels like you're connecting dots that aren't, aren't really there. And and so to me, I don't have any concern about it because with what we've seen from him at IU, there's no reason to have concern. If you see over the course of time that, you know, you know, he's getting the talent, they're not doing anything with it. The roster construction is, is strange and doesn't line up with what he wants to do. And he's having to constantly change how he wants to play in order to fit those, those pieces. Then yeah, that, I think there's, there's reason to be concerned, but I don't think I think to be concerned now is to not really give him a chance to see what it's going to be in the first place. You know, one other point I wanted to make, too, is about pace, because a lot of this, uh, you know, it seems to me that people are starting to think, you know, you've got to play at a fast pace to win in March. And one uh, case study on this that I think is really interesting is Villanova, uh, which has obviously become one of the best programs in the country over the last five years. I mean, over those five seasons, they've lost 23 games that's it. Over five seasons, they've lost 23 games. They've won four conference titles, a national title. They made the Sweet 16 this year. They also lost in the round of 32 three times. So even as well regarded as they are, you know, they've had some struggles in the tournament themselves. Uh, and they've been 21st or better in offense every season and top 20 in defense as well. And what's interesting is their average tempo over the last five seasons, uh, the ranking of that tempo has been 211th in the country. So it's slower than the national average. And in the six seasons prior to their elite five-year run, their tempo ranking was 80th. So it was faster than the national average. So they've actually slowed things down. And, and in doing that, it kind of in conjunction with that, their turnover rate has improved. Uh, so they're valuing possessions more. And they've added elite shooting to the mix. So they've become one of the best uh, teams in terms of effective field goal percentage, three-point percentage, but playing a slower pace. But I think we have this image of, of Villanova as this offensive juggernaut. They must play fast. You don't necessarily have to play at a breakneck pace to be a great offense and to be a varied offense. And, and even Virginia, we know they can be a little reliant on the three, and maybe that's part of the reason why they've had some ups and downs in the tournament. But I think any Indiana fan would take what Virginia's had over the last five years. They've been uh, tremendous. Um, and I make that point simply because Archie's average tempo is 205th, and so they're right there. So I think to, to draw any conclusions that what Archie's doing, you know, from a pace, from a tempo, from a stylistic standpoint offensively, won't be varied enough to, to you know to to make a deep run in March when when you get hot, which is what you have to do. Um, you know, and just to also be consistent in the regular season and keep giving yourself the chance to knock on the door. I just don't think there's anything to back that up based on what we've seen so far. Jared, let me throw a couple numbers at you. So you go back to that 2015 season where you had Kentucky and Wisconsin and Duke and Michigan State in the Final Four. We, we all know Wisconsin plays a glacial tempo they 345th that year Kentucky was 274th and that team almost went undefeated Duke wins the title then they played a, their tempo was 104 uh you mentioned Villanova 274 in tempo last year Oregon got to the final four with a tempo of 234 I mean I, certainly I think you know if you look at North Carolina if you look at Gonzaga they were in the top 100 in tempo to me, like we can get too caught up in this, and I think we get too caught up in looking at Virginia as the archetype of the the slow team that can't win the big one. People said the same thing about Wisconsin until they got to the national title game. What what was important for Wisconsin wasn't the pace they played. 
it was having great basketball players <laughs> yeah. on the floor. You know, it was having Frank Kaminsky on the floor. You know, that's the important thing. And for IU, uh, and I think for Virginia too, since we keep bringing them up in this, you know, you've got to recruit game-changing athletes. You've got to recruit guys who can score, you know, who have game that, that carries up to the next level. That's far more important to me than than pace or even necessarily style of play. Yep. Andy, anything else that you want to add to this before we hop into our final segment? No, we're re- I'm ready to uh, ready to talk about something else. <laughs> <laughs> that's, okay, that's a, that's a great way to end it. Uh, cool. Coming up in our final segment here of the Assembly Call, we've got a couple of good questions that you submitted, and so we will knock those out and, at Andy's best, talk about anything else than what we've been talking about. What's next? <laughs> <laughs> You are listening to The Assembly Call. I am Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Galen Clavio, and we are wrapping up another week of talking Indiana basketball. Uh, and so we've got a really good question here. We've got a few minutes left. We've got a really good question uh, from Alex France that we want to dive into and chew on a little bit here. And Alex's question is, if you had to make one or two big predictions for the offseason for Indiana basketball or NCAA basketball as a whole, what would they be? Um, another avenue for this may be things that you think should happen but probably won't. So let me steer this in a particular direction to kick us off, Galen. Uh, and I want to kick this over to you just based on some comments that I've seen come through your Twitter feed, which is always a good follow during college basketball season and especially the NCAA tournament. Uh, but Tom Izzo, uh, I remember a few years back you had a tweet about Tom Izzo losing his fastball. I think it was maybe after the, the loss to Middle Tennessee State. Um, and certainly with what they did this season you know, and falling short of some expectations, especially in the tournament, I'm wondering, given that and all the controversy, do you think Tom Izzo will be on the Michigan State sidelines next year? And if so, how much longer is he going to be there? I've gone back and forth on this a couple of times. A month ago, I was pretty convinced he was gone. He carried himself like a guy who just didn't want to be up on the podium. That's changed a little bit. And I think what's happened with Sean Miller in Arizona over the course of the last month has changed the tenor of this NCAA slash FBI investigation. So I think Izzo will be on the sidelines starting next year. And I see him there for probably a couple more years. I think he's getting at the tail end of of where he's going to want to do this on a day-to-day basis. The guy's already 63 years old. And I do think that you know, we see this with a lot of coaches. They get to a point where they're just not quite as innovative or not quite as motivational as they were, you know, in their in their prime. And yeah, Michigan State was in the Final Four just a few years ago, so it's not like we're shoveling dirt completely on the grave. But uh, it, it, it what we're seeing right now, I think, not just with the FBI situation or or the sexual assault situation at Michigan State, but just The sea change that's starting to take place elsewhere in the Big Ten, you're starting to see an influx of of other coaches, I think, who are going to raise the level of recruiting intensity, whether it's, uh, you know, certainly Archie Miller at IU, whether it's Chris Holtman at Ohio State. I think that's going to start to put pressure on some of the talent reservoirs that Michigan State has basically fished in unmolested for the last decade or so. So yeah, get out of Indiana, Izzo. Get out. Yeah, yeah. Get out of <laughs> get out of central Indiana. Yeah. Get out of northern Indiana. We'll give you Angola and, you know, maybe Granger. And that's about it. Yeah. But uh, I, I think that that's that's going to start changing the tides a little bit as far as Michigan. There's still a Nike program. There's still like a, a top level program. They're going to get recruits nationally. But. Uh, but I, I only see him on the sidelines for a couple more years. Andy, do you have any predictions that you would like to offer up? 
uh, on Izzo or or anything no, else? I mean, Izzo, sure, but anything. I, I mean, the Izzo thing is interesting. I it, I think there are a number of people who benefited from the the UMBC win over Virginia. Chief among them was Tom Izzo and 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 Sean Miller at Arizona. Who, <laughs> yeah. you know, if not for that. Uh, you know, if you look back at, you know, we had these conversations about seeding Michigan State over the course of the season. And the reality was, you know, it seems like they they should be better than that. They are than they are, um, even though they won the Big Ten regular season, and the unbalanced schedule and all that stuff. But when you look back on it, they beat two tournament teams heading into the into the tournament itself. And they had let a lot of inferior teams hang around with them at various points during the season and that's absolutely what happened in Syracuse. I think they just kind of got to a point where they felt like they could turn it on. And so I think there's there's definitely a component of, you know, one of the more disappointing performances from an Izzo coach team based on the talent that was on the roster and the expectations heading into the season. That being said, I don't necessarily know that he's he's going anywhere. He certainly seems to be willing to ride it out and, and kind of see what happens in that regard. But, uh, you know, I think you certainly will see some coaching changes as a result of uh, of everything that's happened uh with the fbi i just don't you know he he obviously has a slightly different issue and whether there's you know ties to that that remains to be seen but um i don't think he'll be changing but i do think you'll see a couple other high profile openings open up as a result of that over the course of the offseason maybe at a more odd timing than we might normally expect when most of those things happen at the end of the season and then it starts to get a little bit you know get off the rails a little bit based on when they will happen yep all righty. Well, that will do it for us on this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Or you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com slash join to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We will be back to talk IU hoops again with you next week. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support The Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show... We appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client.